So some years ago when I was in seminary in my preaching classes, my preaching professor said to the class, you haven't yet proclaimed the full gospel until you apply the gospel, until you help folks understand how to respond to the claims of the gospel in their lives. Not that it is the responsibility of the pastor to tell you what to do, but to give examples to start the conversation between uh, the folks of the congregation and the Holy Spirit so that they uh, can get a, a concept of what's possible and what, what the implications of the gospel message are. So the opportunities in the lobby are part of the application of the presentations you've heard for the last four weeks. Uh, this is some possibilities for how you might serve. But we're also privileged this morning to have uh, Beth Stafford with us. And Beth is the executive director of the MAC Charities. Uh, their building is up at the intersection practically of Center and Main Street. And as you know, in 1898, Mercer and Bula and company built that building. And then in the 1920s, they pushed it back on the foundation, added the brick facade in the front, and that was the Church of the Nazarene for many, many years. The thrift store behind it, I believe, was the church parsonage at one time, so some of my forebears lived in that house, I'm guessing. And we have a connection to these folks, but it's our privilege to welcome Beth, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about the ministries of Mac Charities and give us some more examples of how it's possible for us uh, to get involved. Would you welcome Beth this morning? You're welcome. Good morning. It's such a privilege to be with you and get to talk about a topic that I love. And um, I work, I've always been a social worker for over 40 some years, worked for the town of Manchester for 12 and uh, then was um, graced by, um, I really believe, by God's leading to enter the world of MAC, which I thought was crazy, a nonprofit. And I, I knew public social services, I knew government, how all that worked in the town. But uh, I was given this opportunity to come to a nonprofit, which was very strange to me in social services. A little bit more freedom than you usually uh, get to do in your service. But what it gave me was the opportunity to be a Christian where I work. You know, you have to be politically correct when you work for a town government or other, or the state. Here at MAC, I could say I'm a Christian. I know who I am, where I am, what I'm doing, and I I'm inviting you to come along. When we had the homeless shelter, I used to go down on the floor and talk to our guest and tell them, I don't care why you're here. I know why I'm here. I'm doing what I think God would have me do and our staff. You know, we're going to respect you as long as you're not a threat to yourself or others. You are welcome to stay with us. And you know, they always resonated with that. They appreciate They've come back to tell me that that's important to them. Mac never had an issue working with the state, which is almost uncommon for a church and state separation. And I figured if we hosted NA and AA, then we could host FA, Faith Anonymous. <laughs> you didn't have to be anonymous, you know. But um, so we always told people, you know, that churches came in to prepare the dinner at night, and most churches would like to pray over the food. If that offends you in any way, we're still going to feed you. You don't have, just come down a couple minutes later. Do you know in 20 years plus of my being there, not one person 
ever stayed back, ever. And I think that shows when people really know you're genuine, you're transparent, you're loving, they see that. So the 12 years that I worked with Mac on the outside for the town, it was just as good on the inside when I got there. And I know you guys have probably felt that. Sometimes you get a little deflated when you get a little closer to a work or you, you know, it's not that we don't have our warts and our mistakes and all, but the truth is there. And uh, in all these things, like Pastor Dan was telling you, the rich history of Mac is incredible. Do you know, I was just there two or three years when a reporter came and he was moved by your beautiful stained glass in the front there. And he called it, you know, when you see stills like apples in a bowl or things like that, he did a whole article on a sanctuary still because most homeless shelters are where? In churches or using church buildings or being repurposed. And he did a whole beautiful, and he would go through and he goes, that one's a veteran, that because all of the guys and women were out of the shelter when he came, but on their bed they folded their clothes or they had their articles and he said veteran because he knew how they were trained to care for their things. Just a pair of boots in a certain order. And I, that's always stayed with me. And so I love Mac. As I'm coming toward my own um, years of life and realizing I won't be there forever, my board and its wisdom have allowed me to start a succession with a very good woman that is uh, with us now and has the heart and love, and I know she'll put her stamp on Mac. So within a year, year and a half, Lord willing, my health holds out. That's what our plan would be so that it won't be the Beth Stafford show because sometimes that can associate itself with you even if you don't want it to. It has to be the Mac show and, uh, and why we're all there. When I came back in 1999, um, well, I should back up, it will be 50 years old in 2023. January 19th is the incorporation date. It started out with 14 churches in Manchester and Bolton, who the ministers in their wisdom realized they could better work with an arm of, uh, you know, based, uh, faith-based social services and allow themselves freedom for the spiritual growth. And that's worked well. We've never had anyone succeed from the conference because we're based in Matthew 25, where, where it reads, when were you hungry? When were you needing clothes? When were you in prison? And no one argues on that through doctrine. And we've never had that. We are a Christian ecumenical group, and we welcome in uh, any faith member who wants to help in the kitchen. We have the, um, the temple and the mosque. All of them come and help with food and things like that, but we are and can remain a Christian organization, which is so important to me. When I came in 1999, there were 19 churches that had joined, still in Manchester, Bolton. Bolton used to be a part of Manchester. That's why they shared a high school, kind of like Dan was talking about the history of things. That's why the two towns. Uh, they're the only two municipalities that contribute to MAC. And then when I came... Um, in uh, 1999, we'd grown to 19. Now we're 35 plus. We've had a few churches, unfortunately, have to close uh, due to COVID and minister attrition, you know, things like that. But we are in um, Glastonbury and South Windsor as well. Not because they needed a shelter or whatever, but those communities wanted to do work in their own backyard, like east of the river, 
where my parents from Missouri say they've never lived in a state that heard so much about east and west of the river. But that's what we are. And uh, that's why the, it grew. And we never went into a town that already had like services. That's why we're not in Vernon or in East Hartford. We're not there to pirate any good work. All of this back here in your service opportunities, same. I want you to serve where you're called to serve. And I'm so thankful you're partners with me, but I realize we're not the only charity out there that, um, that works. And um, just like your, your school here, all of the different opportunities, I'd like you to just resonate on uh, Romans 12, six through nine, where um, you know, we are told we each are given different gifts, right? We're not going to have the same, but we all are given the gifts. And if yours is to serve, serve. If it's to encourage, encourage. If it's to teach, teach. But what Pastor Dan, I think Pastor Light is doing, doing with you are telling you don't isolate. Get up, get out, get moving. And COVID has really harmed a lot of things because you know what it's doing? The evil one can get us comfortable in isolation. Don't get comfortable. MAC is a seven-a-week seven-day-a-week operation, and we had to really move quick on our feet to stay viable in the community because we had to sit, you know, come and eat all you want in the kitchen, come and shop for the groceries. And now, you know, we can't do that with COVID, so we had to do personal shopping, and we had to organize the troops and, and had to cut back on volunteers because you didn't want to have everyone exposed to certain things. To this date, a year later, no one has contracted COVID from Mac proper. I think that's God. We have followed our guidelines like you all have. We've been very strict. A lot of our guests are very vulnerable mentally and otherwise. And again, we've had our little skirmishes and battles about wearing masks, but we had them in our in our pocket on our side and gave them and they came around appointments to the pantry were a little different personal shopping was a little different but I just have seen them realize that again we're there to keep them safe and they respond we have a housing program on our campus that was a mr. Grick had owned that whole campus now we own it over to the park we house 15 people from veterans to people who uh, were homeless or needed a house to stay over the last seven or eight years, six people, six households, I should say, because it represents children, whatever, have gone on from the rents that we can afford. We're not trying to make any money, just cover our bills, and we were able to pay off the mortgages. So now it's really just keeping the property up. But six families have gone on to permanent housing, buying their own condos, their own homes, and I am happy to tell you they're still in them. And, um, you know, Pastor Dan, Pastor Gary, all of you guys have given us so much support in that area. But I want you to know some of those hidden gems that you're a part of. You know, uh, I've just had another request from a veteran. Getting people back on their feet, you know, and supporting them is very important to me. Uh, we also, on, on our display, I'm leaving everything here Take it, use it. There's a prayer cloth out there that we have one woman who makes prayer shawls. We've given them to cancer victims. I brought one for you today. Anybody needs it, take it. If you want to use it in a prayer room, you know, you, someone lovingly made it, and that was her answer to the isolation of COVID. She probably made 20 or 30, and they're beautiful. 
But um, also out there are just ways to get involved. There's cards there, and Patty told me to tell you, she thankfully got married in the year, but her cards still read Gregory, same person, same same information. Her last name is Thurlow, but we weren't going to race car, um, waste cards. Uh, there's applications out there, and we would just ask you that um, you plug in to what makes sense to you. Read Romans 12, 6 through 9. You're, none of us were, are without gifts, and we're expected to use them. I love the, the worship service today because I really believe that we're expected to use what we're given. I don't want to be in front of God someday and tell him I buried my talent or I was saving it. I want to tell him I used it to the best of my ability to multiply it. So I'm hoping that encourages you. Uh, even in my, I don't believe Christians retire. I hope to write. I hope to do something else. I hope God sends me. I hope a lot of times my grandkids and greats. But I I just don't think I get to retire. I'll rest in heaven. I'll kick my feet up in heaven, not here. So I really encourage you to do that. So you've got housing. If you've got a talent, if you bake, make a plate of cookies. We, we do bag lunches. Children, you can make cards. We can put cards in there. The, the homeless guests take showers and do their laundry once a week. You know, if you want to encourage them, if you want to buy some soap or things like that, um, food stamps are what they call SNAP now. You can't get personal items. Drives me nuts. I don't know why anyone thinks that toilet tissue is not a prerequisite. But um, We also do um, pocketbooks in the um, thrift store, and we load them up with um, lipstick and nail polish and personal items for women. And when they come up, you know, women donate their bags, their um, pocketbooks in person. You should see. We have coaches that have never been with still tags on them. And a woman says, you know, they come up to pay for their clothes or they're getting a voucher for clothes, and we'll say, would you like a pocketbook? Well, I can't really afford that. No, it's free. No, get out of here. And then they open it, <laughs> you know, and uh, they love it. We do the same for guys with shaving kits or things like that because they can shave. Um, we invested in a hot water on call in our shelter, old shelter because that's where they take their showers. And you sometimes we have to just knock on the door and make sure they're okay because <laughs> they get in there with a hot shower and it just feels so good. In the uh, wintertime, in those severe snow caps, uh, snow and freezing caps, we housed over seven or eight of people for five days at a time when all it came. And one of our guys said it was fun watching a TV show he'd only heard about because he's been in the woods for years. And he, through that kindness, is going to allow us to help him get citizenship. It took 20 years building relationship, and it's little layers after layers after layers that come off because they don't trust, or they're, or they're living with post-traumatic stress. So we believe in the long haul, if you will. Max not built on fast cures. Um, we also basic needs. It's nothing fancy about it. If you can cook, if you can serve, if you can stock a shelf, if you want to clean a yard, if you want to help us keep our campus looking good, there's just nothing you can't plug into. And I just welcome you. I invite you. Contact us. We're like, you can walk to us. <laughs> We're right down the street. And um, I just thank you for the blessing. Thank you for the opportunity to um, support you in your service. I pray for your school. We don't have enough Christian schools, and our Christian community needs to support that. It should not be hard to run a good school. Same thing as a good uh, faith-based nonprofit. We are called. These, this is ours. It's different. So 
God bless and thank you. Thank you. You want to hand on those steps? Oh, thank you. There you well, there's one more. Thank you, Beth. Christian life is more of a journey than it is a club membership. I think it's not surprising that we're tempted to think of Christianity as a state we enter because we want to be in Christ when we die. We want to know that our relationship is right with God as we live daily. However, I think we've reduced the definition of salvation to have you said the sinner's prayer. But I think the metaphor that you use, the imagery you embrace when speaking about your relationship with Jesus really matters. And I would suggest that rather than thinking of Christianity as a status or a state in which you exist or rest, that you think of it as a journey that you are on. Rather than just simply saying, I'm Christian, I think if you kept the metaphor of, I'm embracing the way of the cross, or I'm living as a citizen of the kingdom of God, or I'm following Jesus, that that metaphor, that imagery of being on a journey with Christ will be powerful in your life. If Christianity is a journey, then the way you live today matters. The way you follow Jesus is important. You have to stay connected to Jesus. We know that. We have to actively follow him rather than cruising on autopilot or, or cruise control in our Christian life. I mean, have you ever been to a in a funeral procession where you didn't know where the cemetery was? I've been there a few times. You know, you, you make sure you're not the last car in the parade because you know that if you get stopped by a light or something and you don't know where the cemetery is, you're done. And so you, you sort of get yourself in the middle. And, and what do you do? You stay as close to the car in front of you as you can, right? Because therein rests your success in finding where West Cemetery really is, right? Do you know where West Cemetery is? Yeah, we'll talk about that later. You can't afford to get disconnected to the procession that is led by Christ. That's why in, Rome, in Hebrews 12, we're told, fix your eyes on Jesus, right? Stay as close to him as you can in this journey, because that's what keeps you on track. That's what keeps you moving in the right direction. In the book of Deuteronomy, when Israel is gathered around Mount Sinai, God speaks to, to Moses and says, I didn't pick Israel because you were the most numerous of people or the most powerful of people. I picked you because I loved you. And, and God is choosing Israel primarily because he has a mission. He's on a journey and he needs a horse to ride to get there. And essentially Israel is his horse. It is whom he will use to demonstrate his love to the whole planet. God states his objective back in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. He's saying all this to Abram, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people of the earth will be blessed through you. God's intention, his mission, is to bless all the people of the earth. 
He's going to use the Jewish people as his conduit to do that. And the relationship that he has with Israel will be an example to the world of the relationship he wants to have with all of them. That's the goal. That's why Israel is chosen. Not chosen for special blessing, chosen to be the horse he will ride, to demonstrate his love for his whole creation, all of us together. And from that, we should understand God's objectives. And if you don't get this part right, none of the rest of Scripture makes any sense. If you don't understand God's objective in the covenant established with Abram, you don't understand what he's doing. And what he's saying in this covenant is simply this. God is for us. God loves us. God wants to bless us, to enrich us, to make us fruitful. And us is all of his creation. That's everyone. It's not just us. It's all of his covenant partners. When Jesus comes, when he comes and lands on earth and demonstrates the well, reveals to us the character of the Father, it's interesting that he is especially concerned with the marginalized, the poor, the sick, and the diseased. Luke 7 tells us an important part of the story. You remember the time when John the Baptist, who's in prison, sends men to Jesus to say, are you really the one? And Jesus is going to, in his response to John's disciples, give us an important clue as to his character and how he defines himself. At that very time, this is Luke 7, 21, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to John's disciples, go back and report to John what you've heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. This is John, this is Jesus reciting sections from Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61, all passages, suffering servant songs that identify who the Messiah is and who it will be. And the terms that Jesus is used to self-identify and to answer John's question, are you the one, are these passages about caring for the marginalized and the poor. And, and this is central to the mission of Messiah. Jesus identified with these people, stood in solidarity with them, healed them. Now, I'll grant you that many of the people that Jesus dealt with in the Gospels, the, the, the part of Jesus' life for which we have a record, were Jews. And so you might be tempted to think, well, this is just for folks inside the club, right? But the Gospel writers are so careful to remind us of all the people who were non-Jews that Jesus interacted with as well. You would think they would gloss over that, except for the fact it's vital to the story. And so we hear about the healing of the centurion's daughter. We hear about the, the woman at the well. We hear about the hated Samaritans and how Jesus goes out of his way to walk through their territory. And you don't have to go very far in the book of Acts to hear about the, the, the enterprise of Philip and the Ethiopian and Peter and Cornelius and his family to see how quickly this circle is expanded to embrace the entire Gentile world. And that is because the mission of God God is for every person on the planet, for Jew and Christian and non-Jew and non-Christian alike. Listen to the inclusive nature of some of the words of Psalm 145. I'm just going to pick a few of the, the verses out of this amazingly wonderful psalm. 
The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. This God of ours cares for all and is especially near to those who call on him. And I think it's vitally important for us to stand, to understand that the mission of God as delivered to Abram in Genesis 12 has not changed. His mission is and always will be to bless all people of the earth through us. That's what God is doing. He, he's in the process of redeeming everything that can be redeemed. That's his goal. He's not willing that any should perish, right? Many years ago, I was teaching in a class and we came to uh, parent-teacher conferences. And you know how long this has been because... You know, like I've been a pastor for 35 plus years now, so it's before that time. Um, I'm in a parent-teacher conference. A dad comes to me and says, yeah, I know my son's failing spelling. I said, I know. I said, I, I'm having trouble getting him to study his words. He says, well, I'll tell you what I think. He says, I think you either can spell or you can't spell. And there's really no point in studying spelling words. So if you don't have the gift of spelling, then you're, not, you're, just, you're never going to learn how to spell. And, and I'm thinking to myself, well, it's no wonder the child's failing spelling if that's his father's attitude, right? And why bother learning anything you don't know or trying to if everything in education is just a gift of this or a gift of that? Or, and I'm thinking to myself, the most difficult part of this is dad is comfortable with his son having an incomplete education. And how will that cripple the son? I think some of us are comfortable having an incomplete education as well. Why serve others outside the community of faith? Either you serve or you don't serve. Maybe there's a gift of service and, and uh, if you don't have it, well, then there's no point in trying. Just you give up. There's a reason I choose to place the school of service right after the school of prayer. The school of prayer focuses on our vital connection with God. Absolutely fundamental and foundational. The school of service asks us to stay in step with that God, to do the very things we learn in prayer. Some might think that the school of theology or the school of doctrine would be more important than the school of service. I don't think so. And the reason I say that is because I think it's way more important to learn to and to practice praying and to learn to and practice serving than almost anything else. I mean, if you look around Manchester, there are a lot of different kinds of Christian churches that are serving God well. 
And as my dear friend Dave Mullen, the pastor over at Church of the Living God says, it's ice cream of different flavors. Okay? Uh, not that doctrine and theology are not critically important. They are. Because they help us understand how God reveals himself to us and move us, moves us forward. But we're talking about a journey here. And so you've got to get started in the right way. We've got to rebuild the foundation of personal and corporate practices. And so the first practical steps are praying and serving. And then those other pieces come into play at the appropriate time. I don't know how much theology you have to have to figure out that God loves you wants a vital connection with you, and wants to bless the world through your gifts and acts of service. You will grow and you will be transformed if you practice those two things. I think you step from there very quickly into worship. You have to know who this God you're praying to is. And the more you get to know him and the more you know his heart for his creation, the more you'll want to serve and the more you will love him and the more you will worship and honor him. And the more you love him and honor him and worship him, the more you will desire to know him. And so you will want to understand his self-revelation to greater degrees. But let's, let's start with praying and then let's serve. When it comes to growing up in the faith, you can't choose to skip the class on service. You can't skip out on that class. And when I talk about the class, I'm not talking about the teaching on service. I'm talking the seminar where you put it into action, right? Because it will be through serving that we will encounter the individuals that we need to share our faith journey with. It is through serving that we will learn the humility that is necessary of all Christians. We will grow in humility. It is through serving that the Holy Spirit will knock the rough edges off of us and shape us and transform us. It's that serving together aspect that will enrich us beyond our ability to understand. Who knows what God will do if we will serve him together? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, We've already said words to you like, I surrender, and I'm available. And now we're going to sing, Lord, teach us your way. And, and we ask, Lord, that you would do that, that you would show us how we are able to honor you through our service, that you would help us to understand and articulate the gifts that you've given us, that we can put them into action for you. And Lord, I would pray in a risky way this morning that you would not let us be at peace or comfortable until we are serving you according to the direction of your Holy Spirit.
And so we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And help us know your will that we might do your will. Enable us to do your will. Call us. Teach us. We pray this in the name of the Lord Christ. Amen. I'd invite you to stand with me. We'll sing a couple verses of Teach Me Your Way uh, as we leave this morning. Teach me your way, O oh Lord. Teach me may the one who began a good work in you carry it on to completion, that you may glorify God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and always. Amen.